Thank you, Brother Riggin. You may be seated. I've known Brother Riggin a long time, and so I was able, even without asking him this morning, last night I was reassuring my wife that he was kidding. We were having fun with that. It, it was, uh, so don't, don't stress, it really wasn't. She didn't lay awake all night. But I am thankful, very thankful, that some elderly men in my life have uh, allowed me in so that I can glean from them through the years. And uh, I have another friend, he turned 60. I hear Brother Riggin talking about fixing to dedicate his ninth grandchild. And, uh, and uh, we had to make arrangements because one of my sons, not grandsons was going to have get to go to a birthday party yesterday where they he's just barely old enough to go play paintball and so uh, I'm I don't even have a anything in sight about a grandkid and so uh, I've heard that older men like to run with young men because it helps keep them uh, feeling like they're young still and all that so, anyway, uh, Brother Riggin has said he's waited a long time to be a grumpy old man, and nobody's going to rob him of that. But uh, I am very thankful for the friendship that I, God bless me with. Um, started almost 30 years ago. What year did you go to Canyon City? One, yeah, that, I thought it was ninety-one, but I get I get stuff confused. I, my dad, he'll go, he'll pick up a hammer in his uh, in his uh, tool shed. He'll say, "I bought that in 1957." I'm like, how do you remember that? I I, I don't even. I could buy a car and even know the year model of it and don't remember. When I bought it, um, it, well, I've never, I don't buy a new one, so that, that's not, probably not a good analogy. But I don't have a good memory like that. But I, uh, I knew it was nearly 30 years ago that I first got acquainted with Brother and Sister Reagan, their family, and uh, their kids were small, young, just just little bitty kids, and uh, it's it's time is is moving very quickly, brother Johnson. I was listening to an old message of his on tape, and he he said something, and uh, I haven't heard him repeat it, but I, I I heard him on that tape. He said, "Too soon old, and too late smart," <laughs> and uh, we we uh, seems like this thirty years has just flown by. And uh, and I was telling somebody the other day, I think I gave out my best advice when I was a young evangelist. I knew all the answers, and now I don't even know the questions anymore. And so uh, uh, I guess it's the second law of thermodynamics. It's all winding. Uh, I don't even know what that law is anymore. I think it's like it winding down and decaying. Is that right, Brother Uribe? <laughs> uh, so... Here we are, we're winding down and decaying. 
but I'm glad I know a timeless truth. And I, I, I better get to preaching because I'm like you. I'm, when I get, when I'm just talking, it's, it may get dangerous. Um, but I am very thankful. I'm, I'm thankful for all of you folks from Colorado Springs that are here. And uh, most of what I preach today, you will probably have heard bits and pieces of it here and there. Maybe even the message I'm starting out with. And... Uh, and uh, we were, I told John, after Brother Hilton said he was going to get the award for coming the furthest, then he said he didn't know. They, they, they do are about a quarter mile further away than us because you have to come up past my house to get, go get on Powers and come. But we're thankful that y'all uh, have let us have Sister Rebecca. Matter of fact, uh, she's going to be uh, moving into our school here. So I hope I don't, you don't mind me going ahead and saying that, but. And giving my wife some relief. So uh, I'm excited about that. We were praying that it would work out. That God would give us a miracle so that she could. And it has happened. All right. 2 Samuel chapter 21. 2 Samuel chapter 21. It's good not to feel pressure. Some places I go, I pick up that. Uh, there's there's pressure that uh, if you're a little bit long-winded, uh, but after all that I heard last night, I think uh, comparatively I'm going to be relatively short. <laughs> and uh, but the reason Brother Riggin preaches a long time is he's got a lot to say. He's got he knows this book backward and forward, and uh, and uh, I love to hear him preach. But I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best. I will say that um, where where I'm getting started is is a lot because I've been thinking about our. I knew this was a baby dedication. I'm not really preaching this because it's a baby dedication service, but it it uh, has been on my mind and the fact that um, fact that this is about our children. And really, it's about all of us, but it's about our children has started me in this direction. I could not get away from it. Chapter 21 of the book of 2 Samuel, beginning at verse 1. Then there was a famine in the days of David three years, year after year. And David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, It is for Saul and for his bloody house, because he slew the Gibeonites. And the king called the Gibeonites and said unto them, Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. The children of Israel had sworn unto them, and Saul sought to slay them in his zeal to the children of Israel and Judah. Wherefore David said unto the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you? Wherewith shall I make the atonement that ye may bless the inheritance of the Lord? And the Gibeonites said unto him, We will have no silver nor gold of Saul, nor of his house, neither for us shalt thou kill any man in Israel. And he said, What ye shall say, that will I do for you. And they answered the king, The man that consumed us, 
and they devised against us that we should be destroyed from remaining in any of the coast of Israel. Let seven of his sons be delivered unto us. We will hang them up unto the Lord in Gibeah of Saul, whom the Lord did choose. And the king said, I will give them. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the Lord's oath that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. But the king took the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, whom she bare unto Saul, Armoni and Mephibosheth, and the five sons of Michael, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought up for Adriel, the son of Barzilla, the Maholathite. And he delivered, un, he delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them in the hill before the Lord, and they fell all seven together, and were put to death in the days of harvest, in the first days, in the beginning of barley harvest. And Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, took sackcloth, and spread it for her upon the rock from the beginning of the harvest until water dropped upon them out of heaven and suffered neither the birds of the air to rest on them by day nor the beast of the field by night. And it was told David what Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, the concubine of Saul, had done. I want us to pray and ask God to help us in the rest of this service today. I need his help, and I want the presence of the Lord to just move in here in a special way. God, we need you this morning. God, I'm asking for your help today, Jesus. Oh, God, I need your anointing, Lord. I need your touch. Oh, Jesus. God, I love you. God, I praise you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. God, I love you, Jesus. We need you, God. We need you, God. We need you, God. Move in this place, Lord. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. God, we praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord praise one more time. God, I love you. God, I love you, Jesus. Praise God. Amen. You may be seated. This is a... uh, very unusual passage, um, yet I think it shows very clearly what God thinks about the things that bind us to one another. And these people, the Gibeonites, were bound to Israel with an oath or a covenant. And uh, even though God had, had said, you shouldn't be making covenants with these people because they did it. God honored it, and he was not happy with the fact that Saul had violated that agreement that was made by the Israelites. And so the, the uh, things were not going well. 
there was a famine. God was reminding somebody, hey, you need to need to wake up. You have not honored what you should be honoring. And so David said, I need to know what needs to be done. This needed to be done. And so he went to those Gibeonites. He said, you tell me uh, what it is because we got to be right with God. And so they said, we'll take seven of Saul's sons. Now, scripturally, when you read many times, especially the Old Testament, the son of somebody might have been a grandson or a great-grandson, but it's on down the line. And, uh, and, and Saul didn't have seven sons, but uh, he had lineage that they could choose from. And, uh, and so they, they, they did, and they hung those, uh, those grandchildren up and left them out as a spectacle. And it is a very powerful story of motherhood that we read about Rizpah. Rizpah went out there and basically said, I'm staying out here and I'm going to fight the buzzards off of the carcasses of my sons. I'm, I may not can do any more than that, but I'm going to do that. No, no wild animal is going to take advantage of, of the fact that I cannot properly bury my sons right now. And I have heard preaching about this mother's love, and I agree with every bit of it. She is a testimony about what, 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 a, what a mother would try to do and the lengths that a mother would go to, uh, to, to, to spare their children's dignity. And I, I just tell you, uh, you see her doing that, you know even before they died, she was trying to do everything she could to make sure her children were not the ones that were chosen for destruction. I, I don't know what all you'd have to read between the lines, but you see this mother and see what she was willing to do that night after night and day after day she stayed on the job to keep the wild animals from her dead children before that, when they all came out there and were lined up, Gibeonites, uh, you can take whoever you want to. I'm sure she was begging and pleading to the king. I'm sure she was trying to find out, do I have anybody that has any influence with the king? Because she wanted to spare her children. That is a natural thing for a mother. Amen. Mothers have that nurturing, loving attitude about their children. And I'm telling you, I am in awe of it a lot of times. I, I know before I had children, I, my daddy would say, you don't really know uh, the feeling that, that you're going to feel when you have children. You don't really know what uh, the depths of love is until you have children. And I know, I know what uh, he was talking about. But even the love that I have for my children, it can't match my wife's. Um, I'm, I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what the facts say. Anybody messes with her kids, mama bear comes out. Now, she may fuss at them, but if anybody else fusses at them, I might have to say, now, calm down, calm down, it's okay. You know, they, they weren't really in the right, uh, the right this time. They, they, uh, they, might, they might need a little 
discipline at school or whatever it might be because mama is ready to tangle with whoever messes with her children. Thank God for mothers. Amen. And uh, thank God that mothers are not not the stronger ones <laughs> because a lot of folks would take a whooping <laughs> because you have messed with their children. And I know Rispa that she was doing everything that she could. But the problem is she had no angle. She didn't have any leverage. She was Saul's concubine. Now, that word, sometimes we, we, we put too negative a connotation on it. It, it. She was actually married to Saul. She was not, she was not an illicit relationship. But it, she was not a wife that had all of the legal protections that maybe a primary wife would have back in that day. Uh, I'm glad the New Testament kind of changed all that. Husband of one wife. And, uh, uh, but that was, it was a complicated thing. But these concubines, yes, she was married to Saul. Her relationship was not immoral with Saul, very likely. But she didn't have all of the legal protections and the people she could have turned to would not have looked at her in the same way that they would have looked at uh, they would have looked at the queen. They would have looked at uh, uh, the one that uh, had, had, had helped them and had given out favors. And this poor mother, there was very little that she could do. But I'm not here to talk about her because uh, really uh, her story is one of great courage but a lack of ability uh, to protect her children. I want to talk about somebody that could have done it differently. There was somebody there that had children that were hung and died, and yet we got to look at who this lady was. When these Gibeonites were choosing these people, the king took two sons of Rizpah, but Five sons of Michael, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought up for Adriel, the son of Barzilla, the Maholathite. There, there was Michael. Michael was married to David the king. This was uh, his primary wife. This was the first wife that he married. It was the wife of his youth and somebody that he was determined before I take the throne, before I come back, you're going to get me my wife back. She is important to me. And yet five sons, it says, of Michael were hung on that tree. And so give me just a few minutes to take you through the understanding uh, where you'll understand where I'm going. It'll just take uh, these few minutes to lay this out. Now, the Bible clearly tells us that Michael had no children. You could go look at that verse and it's not, 
uh, the context, you look at the wording of it, you look at all the agreement of the scholars, and it's not just that she had no children after she mocked David. It's that she had no children. She had never born anyone. And so these were not her uh, actual children that she birthed. She brought them up for Adriel. Now, you go back and look and you find out that Adriel was the man that married her sister. And so she was bringing them up for her brother-in-law. Why did it say her brother-in-law instead of her sister? Evidently, her sister had died. Uh, and she had given birth to those children. And Adriel was, uh, he, maybe, maybe he uh, did not marry again, but he was looking at these children, and, and uh, I, I can't bring them up like my sister-in-law could. She lives in the palace. She lives with the king. She's got everything going. She can give my kids the life that they deserve. And uh, sh these are her nephews, and, and so surely she would love them, and she would take care of them, and he made that decision. Maybe he traveled, maybe he, whatever, whatever the condition, we don't really know. Maybe he could no longer take care of them. But she took those children in, and they were raised in the palace of the king. They were raised under the hand of David, the man that had the power of life and death in his hands. And so these kids, from the moment probably that Michael was able to return to David, these ki kids were raised in the king's palace. They were raised to eat at the king's table. They ran around and played inside the palace grounds. They never had to worry about danger. They were protected by the palace guards. It was like they had secret service all the time. They, they felt privileged. They felt safe. They felt like everything was all right and would always be all right. Uh, when, you, when you look around and see kids running out on the street and born into this and born into that, you'd have to say, man, they are privileged. Privileged. They were born related to the people that are on the throne. Look at them over there with all their privilege. But the day the Gibeonites stood there and they began to look at those kids that were all lined up, now adults, and saying, I'm going to take this one and I'm going to take that one. As they came down the line, they got to some kids that were raised not just in uh, Saul, house they came to kids that were not raised in another town somewhere they came to kids that David recognized that David saw them eating at his table he saw them growing up in his palace but when the Gibeonites said I'll take those And there was Rizpah begging and pleading for her kid's life. Don't take mine. Don't take mine. But she had no angle. She had no connection. And he had to say, no, they're going to get those two. Well, what about these over here? Uh, there, there's Michael, uh, the wife of the king. Hey, saying these are my kids. Can you not spare them? If she took them in to raise them up, you had to know that she at least was standing 
standing there with them, at least spoke up and said, can you not spare my children? But let me tell you, though they were raised inside the palace, and though they were raised to eat at the king's table, they were not the sons of David. They were the grandsons of Saul. That was their identity. That was their relationship. And they had to go. And the man that had the power of life in his death shook his head and said, no, I'm not sparing them because they've been raised in the king's house. But they were raised in the king's house without a covenant. They ate at his table without a covenant. This is the wife of David and when she took those kids in she could have brought them before and said David these are my sister's children and I know how you have loved my family I know how you have cared for my family in spite of what they've done and I, I am pointing them toward you they are my children now and I am your wife and they are going to be your children I believe David had a big enough heart that he he would have said bring them on in I welcome them as my children they will be under my protection but Saul uh, uh, Michael had a different attitude and you see it when she looked out the window at David dancing before the Lord and she made fun of him it was not David she wanted to be identified with it was her daddy Saul I am the daughter of Saul. I am royalty. And you're just like one of those base fellas. You're just like a common servant. You're an old stinking shepherd. Oh, if you don't think shepherds, I know. I know Jesus is our shepherd. And he likens the ministry to shepherds. But I'm telling you, that's not a glamorous position. It's only made important or acceptable by the fact that Jesus is the chief shepherd because it was a dirty business. They lived out there among the sheep and wandered the hillsides with those sheep. They didn't get to go home at night and take a bath. The Egyptians wouldn't have anything to do with a shepherd. We won't even live anywhere near where they are. They're, they're common people. They're the lowest of our any society in that day. And Michael looked down her nose. You're just an old dirty shepherd is all you are but I am the king's daughter that was her attitude it was her attitude when she looked out there. My daddy would have never made a fool of himself out in the streets. You won't catch me uh, dirty in my robe out there in the street doing what you're doing. And David, oh, he looked back at her. And in our language, we'd say, uh, I'm telling you this, uh, your blue-blooded lineage, God looked past all of you. And he went down to that dirty sheep uh, fold and he found somebody willing to be humble, willing to love him, willing to worship him and he chose me over all your family you think I've been doing something up to now it's gonna get worse oh yeah I'm telling you he would have been the first in line to be a holy roller it doesn't make any difference what you might call us I'm so in love with God you can make fun of me all day long but I'll tell you there are 
are some servants that are going to love what I'm doing. There are some people that everybody looks down at. They're going to love what I'm doing because I'm in love with God. Her attitude was, these are Saul's grandchildren. These have blue blood flowing in their veins. And I don't have to identify them with a shepherd like David. I don't have to have him adopt them. And David looked down. I know he probably loved uh, any child, any person. He, he was a man with a big heart. But he had to fold his arms and say, uh, Oh, God has allowed it. Uh, there's going to have to be seven sons of Saul uh, uh, that are going to have to die. And as much as I love those kids, he might have played with those kids. Uh, they are not my children. They are the grandsons of Saul. Uh, they ate at my table, uh, but they never became my children children. Oh, let me tell you what I came to preach. I know that you enjoy the blessings of God. You can come to church and you can enjoy the fellowship. But I'll tell you something more important than any of that. You better make a covenant with God. There was a man that was in that place, in that line, a grandson of Saul. And, and logic would have said, why don't you take him? He's not even a productive member of society. Society. He's a man that is lame, a man that cannot walk, a man that's a welfare case. He has to eat at the king's table just to survive. Why don't you just go ahead and take him? And David looked out and said, nobody's taking that man. Nobody's taking him. He's the son of Jonathan. I made a covenant with Jonathan. We bound it together with our love for one another. And I'll tell you, with the power of life and death in my decision. You can take anybody in this kingdom, but you're not taking that man. Oh, hallelujah. Let me tell you, when you start bringing your children to the house of God, oh, it's more than just what kind of treats they get in Sunday school. It's more than what kind of friends they make and the social gathering. I'm glad my kids have always loved going to church. They, they, they want to go, but I do realize there's a lot of times in their ages it was to go see their friends. It was to go because it was an inviting place. It was because it was a place with good memories. But I'll tell you, that's never enough. I want to bind them together. We're under covenant. I want them to know this is where we find everything. It's where we got to fall in love with Jesus. We got to fall in love with the church of the living God. We're not just here for the benefits and the blessings. I want to be tied to this place by covenant. Because there's something so powerful, something so special when I've made covenant with Almighty God. And I will tell you, oh, can I tell you, I was not a perfect young man. I was, I went the whole gamut. I don't know. You may say, well, maybe God let you go down those roads so you'd always know how to identify with whoever was in whatever situation. But I can tell you, there were times that if the Lord had come back, I was not ready. 
There were times probably God was so upset at me. Uh, oh, but I remember hearing my parents pray, God, we dedicated him to you. Lord, you remember how we prayed. God, we've always tried to bring him up right. And I'll tell you, you don't even want to know what else they prayed after that, but it would, it would put the fear of God in me. Oh, but I'm telling you, I, they didn't save me when they dedicated me. I was not baptized when they dedicated me. It was, I didn't have my name written down in heaven because they dedicated me, but it was the attitude of parents that said, these are not the, this is not the grandson of Saul. This is going to be the son of David. This is going to be somebody that knows, hey, 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 you're not just going to eat at the king's table. You're going you're gonna to declare an allegiance to the king. You're not going to just play in his courtyard under his protection. You're going to swear a covenant oath unto the king that I am yours. I am loyal. I am faithful. Because I'll tell you, there's going to come a day when the king's secret service has protected you in all your childhood. That umbrella of God's mercy and protection because of praying parents. Oh, that's not going to be enough. There's going to come a day you're going to stand in a line and the devil's going to say, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to destroy his or her life. I'm ready to take your children. Oh, when the creditor comes to take your children away. Oh, when the thief is lurking outside. You need your children under the hand of God. God, I didn't just bring them up for the benefits. I put them in covenant with God. As Michael, all the blue blood flowing in your veins is not enough to save them. Oh, it's not enough. What an opportunity. They were not just your sister's children living under the disgraced regime of Saul, they had an opportunity to actually be brought up in the house of David. But your allegiance was more to the past. Your allegiance was more to the unfaithful and discredited king of yesterday. Oh, there are things, my friend, that you may feel are important in the lives of your family. But they start pulling on you and pulling your attention away from the house of God. That's not good. It's not good enough just to have a Pentecostal pedigree. It's not good enough just to have a membership as a, of a church. You gotta buy into everything God is putting in you. Let me tell you, I am sold out to this Pentecostal message. It's not just another way. It's not just another theology. It's the only way to heaven. I'm telling you, the Acts 2.38 plan of salvation repentance and water baptism in Jesus name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost is not just another way it's the only way oh yes this old apostolic heritage the way we pray the way we worship Oh, don't you ever get ashamed of it. Oh, mom and dad, don't you ever let your children even think that you're a little bit ashamed of it. Don't ever go home and sit there and nitpick the worship apart and nitpick the preaching apart. Oh, there's going to be a day when the devil comes a-knocking, trying to pull your children away. And while they're fighting that battle, 
battle in their mind. You know what? God needs to be able to prompt to them. My mom and dad have been sold out in this for years and years and years. If I walk out of here, I'm lost. If I walk out of here, I'm not saved. I got to stay in the boat. There's going to be plenty of opportunity for you to get a little uncomfortable. You to get a little embarrassed. There's going to be times when you're going to have to choose whether you're cool in the eyes of your children or you're right in the sight of God. Don't ever make that wrong decision. Oh, no, there's times that my children have been upset at me. There's times when they've not understood things. There's times when they when it didn't make sense to them, but they didn't even understand. Oh, my older ones are understanding it now. But I'll tell you what mom and dad were doing. Mom and dad were looking ahead. Oh, yeah my personality is not going to be what saves them me being cool in their sights not going to be what saves them but me tying them to an altar tying them to the house of God teaching them that their loyalty and allegiance is to God even if you don't ever understand it even if you don't ever uh, feel comfortable doing it God's way it's the only way it's the way I gotta sell out to God if I get the chance I'm not just bringing them up in the king's house it's going to be with a covenant because nowhere is it clearer the difference than a covenant relationship appears in this passage the present queen could not save them but a dead man's friendship with the king was what made the difference. Oh, I could preach on a mother's prayers and live on after she's gone. Oh, and what saves people. I've watched backsliders come walking in and run to an altar And I've thought, man, if their grandmother could see them now. If their mother could see them now. Oh, you know why I was saying that? Is because when she went to her grave, she went in faith and praying and believing God. One day you're going to spare them. One day when the creditor comes to take them to hell, oh, you're going to reach down and get a hold of their heart and bring them in. Let me tell you that I know everything about a person's free will. I know people have choices, but you understand there's a whole lot more that's going on than just the choice you see on the surface. There are things God is doing every day in honor of that praying. God looks at some things differently when there is a covenant, when there is a commitment, when there is that binding tie God I'm here I'm sold out nobody's going to offend me out of this place nobody's going to push me out of my place I have found the salvation of my soul and my whole family we're making that commitment we are here God you can count on us every day you can count on us every night because God looks at it differently when it's committed to him When it's sold out to him. 
Something may be trying to make you waver. Maybe it didn't suit you. Maybe somebody's pulling on you. But I'll tell you, you've got to stay under the protection of a covenant. We wonder sometimes about Achan and his family. Why that was so drastic. Why they had to take all of them out and stone them. Because they, one man of that family coveted something that was not his and took it. When you look at Israel as unspiritual as they were at so many times and look at all the hundreds of thousands of people that were there and over the course of, of them taking that land, you can't tell me that there weren't people doing abusive things, wrong things, things here and there. Why was Achan singled out? Why, why did their armies fail until they dealt with that? Because God looked at things differently when he said about Jericho. He, in your King James, it uses the word accursed. But what, he's really, what he really said was, he said, when you take this land, I'm going to give you every bit of the rest of it. All the cities you take, all of those things. But Jericho is mine. It's the first one. And it is to be... Accursed. It really means it is to be, it is to be separated out to sacrificed unto me. It's to be burned up except for those things that you take into the tabernacle. You separate and keep it for my service and the rest of it should not be touched by anybody because every bit of it is dedicated to me. And when Achan came along, and he looked at those garments and those precious metals and he coveted them. He was not an ordinary thief just reaching out and stealing something. He was like Yuza touching the ark. He reached out and touched that which was dedicated unto God. And God said, no. That's mine. It was like David said of Mephibosheth. No, he's mine. You're not touching him. You're not going to do anything to him. No, Achan, nobody touches that which is dedicated to me. I want it written down for countless generations to read that when something is dedicated to me, I look at it differently. And I want to tell you, again, I'm not just preaching about a baby dedication. I'm talking about the day you walked in a house of God and you came down to an old-fashioned altar and said, okay, God, from here on, I'm Jericho. From here on, God, I'm sold out to you. From here on, God... With my crippled limbs a dragon behind me, I am Mephibosheth. 
to your David. God, I am committed. I am sold out. Oh, what a beautiful thing it is to bring a baby and say, Oh, God, Lord, I'm going to raise them to be your Jericho. I'm going to raise them. I know they'll have to make it themselves one day, and but, but until they can make that choice themselves, God, I'm going to stand over them like Israel should have been standing over that Jericho. This is yours. This is yours. Dedicated. And I'll tell you, there will be a day that the slick, slimy devil will reach out and say, I want to get a hold of you. Or I want to get a hold of your child. Or I want to get a hold of your baby. And you hit your knees and cry out, God, have mercy. God's going to look at that devil and say, no, that's my Jericho. Nobody's touching that. That church is dedicated unto me. That family's dedicated unto me. Oh, let me tell you when you what you make at the altar of God, the covenant you make with God today, God, I'm gonna serve you. As for me and my house, we're gonna serve you. You are God's Jericho under covenant with Him. And I'll use my life up for you, but not for anything else. And God will say, oh, there's a lot of promises in that New Testament about how he's going to be with you. And how when you go about, nothing's going to hurt you. Drinking any deadly poison, on and on. What is that? That's a child of God under covenant with Almighty God. Lord, I'm your Jericho. Oh, God, I, I was of the house of Saul. I was of the carnality and the rebellion and the backsliddenness of Saul. But I found my way down to an altar. And I didn't come just to eat at your table. But I want to be David's son. I don't want to be Saul's lineage anymore. God, I want to be sold out to you. Let's stand together. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Living in the king's house. But do you have a covenant with God? I've watched too many people grow up in the house of God that never found their way to a place on this carpet and wet it with their tears. God, bind me to you. Oh, yeah. I, I, know, where, I know where you stand. I'll tell you, there were so many times that I pushed back against my parents, that I pushed back against the level of sacrifice that it was going to take. And oh, there were times people probably wondered, would he ever come back? Would he, which way is he going to go? What's, what, what's he going to do? But I'll tell you, there was a day. And days after that, thank the Lord that God smote my heart. And I got down on that floor and I cried out, God, I'm not leaving here until I'm sold out to you. God, I'm not leaving here until I'm David's son. I'm not leaving here till I got a connection with you. Oh, hallelujah. What a wonderful morning it would be for you to do that very thing. For you to cry out to God, Lord, I'm not here just for the benefits. Oh, God.
God, I'm ready to renounce everything that I ever was. Because from here on, God, I just want to be yours. I just want to be yours. Help us pray, church, right now. Help us pray. These altars are open. Oh, as they begin to sing, it's time to talk to God. It's time to bind yourself to Him. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus, my God, my God, my God, my God. Oh, Jesus, what you do today may be what saves you tomorrow. Saves your children tomorrow. Living in the king's house with a covenant. With a covenant. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, it's time to talk to God.